From South Carolina Public Radio, this is the South Carolina Lead. I'm your host, Gavin Jackson, and this episode was recorded on March 27, 2023, from South Carolina Public Radio Studios here in Columbia. Just so you know, some of the information in this podcast may have changed by the time you've heard it. This episode features a look at what's happened to the medical marijuana bill that was set to move again this year. The House is back this week, and Speaker Merle Smith tells us what's on tap as the final weeks of session tick down. We also look at what big bills are moving this week. In business, we have new state economic data for you, including unemployment and the latest on the SC ports. We also hear from Scott Morgan as part of his limited-run podcast series, Indebted, which is a look at the state's ecosystem of debt. And join me and some other friends of the pod at Kite Hill Brewing for our first live taping of 2023. That's right, Kite Hill Brewing in Clemson on April 13th. That's a Thursday at 6 p.m. We would love to see all our friends. We have about 50 people RSVP'd so far. Love that. We want some more folks. Let us know you're coming. It's free, like we said, but we've got plenty of swag we want to give away. So you can RSVP and find out more details about our live taping at Kite Hill Brewing April 13th at 6 p.m. on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org slash LeadLaughLove. RSVP and get the deets right there. And if you can't make it, apologies, hang up, don't listen to the rest of the pod. No, please listen. But we want to also hear from you. Tell us why you can't make it or where you think we should go next because we love doing all of our live tapings around the state. We want to see and hear from you guys. So let us know where we should go. Give us a shout, 803-563-7169. You can also leave us some questions you want answered about the state house, preferential food, uh, weird snacks, road trips. What's going on this spring? Are you going on spring break? Are you taking the lead with you on spring break? You gotta call us if you're on spring break. First of all, you should have invited us. Second of all, if you didn't, let us know where you're at. Give us a shout, 803-563-7169. Leave us your name, where you're calling from, and what's going on. Spring is here, folks. If you thought the House was the only chamber with Republicans having a crisis of confidence among their ranks, well, let me take you over to the Senate. On March 16th, the chamber voted against putting Beaufort Republican Senator Tom Davis's medical marijuana bill, S-423, on special order. This is because several Republicans flipped on him since the vote last year to get his medical marijuana bill out of the chamber. Despite no major differences in last year's bill and the current S-423, the bill failed to get the necessary support for debate priority status. If you've listened to this podcast over the years, then you've followed the conservative medical marijuana bill that Davis has been working on for nine years and his attempts to get it to the governor's desk. After years of changes and small steps, Davis last year got the bill through the Senate chamber by a vote of 28 to 15, which was a major victory. He was optimistic of its passage in the House despite strong headwinds, including some 1,000 amendments proposed by Greenwood Republican John McCravey. But before the House could even debate the bill, it was ruled out of order because it raised revenue through a sales tax. Any revenue-raising bills need to originate in the House, and this was despite assurances from House and Senate staffers to Davis that this wouldn't be the case. So a bit of a technicality there that got this whole thing thrown out. But that was last year, and here we are in 2023, and the intellectual and political savvy Davis, who was Governor Mark Sanford's chief of staff during Sanford's disappearance to Argentina to be with his mistress while claiming to be hiking the Appalachian Trail, is used to setbacks and challenges. Davis was bent but not broken, and he said the bill would be the first out of the Senate Medical Affairs Committee this session. 
The bill made it to the floor on February 21st and was set to get placed in special order, giving it debate priority on the floor. However, despite being practically the same bill that passed the chamber 28 to 15 last year, it failed to get support for debate with a 20 to 20 vote, meaning it failed. This prompted Davis to take to the Senate well on March 23rd for the first time this session for a point of personal interest, and he was heated over what he called dishonorable actions by several fellow senators. I don't need to repeat that to y'all. You know throughout this process, there's physicians on the front end, there's pharmacists on the back end, there's regulation all throughout. You can't smoke it. You can't have it in certain forms. You can't appeal to children. You have to have independent labs. Every single state law that has passed this, I have borrowed from the best provisions to make this a bill we can be proud of, a bill that I would say is beyond precedent for having been vetted, and yet we have people in this chamber that say it hasn't been vetted. That's a lie. It's a lie, and it's not compassionate, and it's wrong. I've got to listen to the phone calls from people asking me what the hell has happened. I waited my turn. I hadn't talked about this. We took up CON repeal. We took up school choice. We take up China now. We're going to take up preemption. We're going to take up other things. I waited my turn because it was understood we were going to take this up because it passed 28 to 16 last year. A majority of the Republican caucus passed it last year. And the House clipped our wings on it and embarrassed our staff. Davis said federal concerns over medical marijuana have been mitigated over the years, including through regulations implemented by the IRS, the Treasury Department has given guidance to banks to take proceeds from medical marijuana sales. The Department of Justice has told U.S. attorneys to stand down and not enforce laws against medical marijuana, and courts have ruled in states' favor over and over again. Heck, nearby North Carolina is set to become the 39th state to pass a medical marijuana law soon. Here's Davis speaking on how the failed 20-20 vote came to be on March 16th. They embarrassed me on the floor of this Senate when the majority leader stood up during the motion period and made a motion for special order, the opponents of this bill screamed no, so it got to a roll call. And then when it went to a roll call, seven or eight individuals who I worked with last year adopted their amendments last year, answered their questions last year, and they voted for this bill last year. They went ahead and flipped and voted it down. In the 15 years I've been in the Senate, I have never experienced that. Never. Never have. And it is not something that I'll ever do to another member. I would never do that. In fact, what I do do is on subcommittees that I chair and I'm the floor leader, even if I don't like that bill, I take it on as something I'm going to get passed. I'm going to get it passed, even if I have reservations. Genetic counseling. I've got reservations in regard to whether it needs to be licensed but I respect the will of my colleagues. It's in my subcommittee, and I'm going to come to this well, and I'm going to get the thing passed, because that is what an honorable member does. I have not been treated honorably. The people of South Carolina have not been treated honorably. We are behaving in a way that's driven by fear and misimpressions and misinformation. We're going to be the 50th state to authorize this, and in the meantime, we have people who are taking opioids for things that they could have released from medical cannabis. We have individuals with neurological disorders. We have people that have Crohn's disease, people who have real maladies for which there is empirical, peer-reviewed science saying this can help, and we're telling doctors no. Those who voted for the medical marijuana bill last year but didn't support special order this year were Republican Senators Brian Adams, 
Richard Cash, Michael Johnson, and Josh Kimbrell. Senator Carl Allen was the only Democrat to flip, and Republican Senators Stephen Goldfinch and Penry Gustafson had excused absences, and Scott Talley did not vote. Several Republican and Democratic members took to the well after to praise Davis and his hard work. But the bill's future this session is now uncertain, with Davis even questioning whether he can carry this torch anymore. Maybe I'm not the person to lead this thing. Maybe somebody else should lead this thing. And I'm happy to yield to it because it's far more important that this get done and that doctors be allowed to, to do what doctors think is in a patient's best interest than me getting any credit for it. We had this debate in regard to COVID and in regard to ivermectin and the things that doctors felt were in patients' best interest. And a lot of people rose up and said, who are we to second-guess these doctors? If these doctors think this is in the patient's best interest, politicians don't belong there. When it served their political interest to say that they did, but when it's in something like this, they don't. That's just wrong. Now, I realize that this bill is probably dead for another year. Thank you all. Thank you all. Probably dead for another year. And I weighed whether or not to say anything about it. Just play an inside game, build up capital, help people with their bills, be a good faith broker on subcommittee chairmanship, do the job. That ain't working for me anymore. It ain't working for me anymore. So I'm going to try a different approach. Now, we'll keep you updated on any moves with Senator Davis's medical marijuana bill, S-423. Let's walk across the lobby to the House, which returns this week after taking a week off following its passage of its $14 billion budget. Before they took that break, I asked Speaker Merle Smith what the priorities are for the remaining weeks of the session when they return. One such priority bill, H-3690, would require that the state's retirement system investment and management decisions exclude factors that are collateral to or not reasonably likely to affect or impact the financial risk and return of the investment we're talking about promotion, furtherance, or achievement of, of environmental, social, governance, or political goals, objectives, or outcomes. Now, that's a long way of saying ESG, which everyone's been talking about lately, and you'll hear Speaker Smith mention right here. Well, we, we've got a, a bold agenda, and we got more items coming. I think there's an education workforce component that's coming out of here. You're going to see us next week, or next, in two weeks, come back and deal with these ESGs as it relates to investments in South Carolina. I think it's very important that we remember that our job in investing state pension funds is in to the taxpayers and to the ratepayers and to the stockholders and not to some social agenda. Whether it's a liberal social agenda or a conservative social agenda, we just need to do what's best for the stockholders and the stockholders in our pension are employees and the citizens of South Carolina. So you'll see us move that bill and then you'll probably see a whole host of committee work. We, we've not really, not a lot is on the floor, but you'll see a whole host of committee work. Then we're going to move into, into Senate bills and you'll see probably at the top of that is going to be certificate of need. We'll be addressing that very shortly. So again, you know, we look forward to trying to enact much of our agenda as we can. It's a two-year agenda, but we're moving at, at a quick pace and getting those items accomplished. This forthcoming debate on ESG legislation comes after that long budget debate where members of the House Freedom Caucus decried ESG and diversity, equity, and inclusion efforts, also known as DEI, in higher education. So a little red meat right here coming from Merle Smith. Looking ahead this week, two big bills will be debated in Senate committees Wednesday morning. H-3728 is the anti-critical race theory bill that passed the House earlier this year that will outlaw several concepts from being taught in K-12 schools. 
such as an individual by virtue of the race, sex, ethnicity, religion, color, or national origin of the individual inherently is privileged, racist, sexist, or oppressive, whether consciously or subconsciously. Another concept that would be outlawed is that one's race, sex, ethnicity, color, or national origin is inherently superior to another race, sex, ethnicity, color, or national origin. Now, just a reminder, CRT is not taught in any K-12 school in South Carolina. Also in this bill, students will not be required to attend any instruction, training, or presentation that has the goal or purpose of studying, exploring, or informing attendees about gender roles or stereotypes, gender identity, gender expression, sexual orientation, or romantic or sexual relationships. So teens don't have to take sex ed, which, again, might not be the smartest thing to do. I'm not telling parents what to do here. But just considering that three South Carolina cities have some of the highest rates of sexually transmitted diseases in the country. You learn about that stuff in sex ed. And the Senate Medical Affairs Committee will meet Wednesday to take up two anti-transgender bills, S-623 and S-627. Those deal with banning gender-affirming care for transgender youth under 18 and prohibiting transgender South Carolinians from changing the gender on their birth certificates. On Tuesday, the Senate Judiciary Committee will meet to take up several bills, including one that would ask voters in 2024 if they'd support moving the Comptroller General into an appointed position rather than elected. This comes in light of outgoing Comptroller General Richard Ekstrom, who oversaw the double counting of some $4 billion inflating the state's ledger. And in the House on Tuesday, the Judiciary Committee is expected to take up several bills dealing with adoption and foster care that are sponsored by House Speaker Merle Smith. This in light of the abortion debate this year and last offseason. Let's look at some statewide economic data. Data! That's right. First up, unemployment numbers. Unemployment remained low in February in South Carolina at 3.2%. That's the same rate as January, according to the Department of Employment and Workforce. Some 2.3 million South Carolinians are working. In fact, we're just a few shy of the June 2022 record all-time high employment. So people out there, again, working for that money. Due Acting Executive Director William Floyd said in a statement, quote, the first quarter of 2023 continues on a steady course. In addition, the labor force participation rate ticked up slightly to 55.9% with 2,382,172 people in the labor force, a high for South Carolina. This is the trend we would like to see continue to climb, quote. Floyd, who has been appointed by the governor to replace former director Dan Elzey, is set to go before a Senate committee this week as he gets closer to being confirmed by the state Senate. Industries that reported the biggest gains for February were leisure and hospitality, professional and business services, and government. Whereas financial activities, education, and health services, as well as construction and manufacturing, declined. Marble, Allendale, and Bamberg counties have the highest unemployment rates at 8.1, 6.4, and 5.8, respectively. Dorchester and Lexington both have 3.2% unemployment, and Charleston come in with the lowest at 3.1%. And if you thought we were done with data, data, we're not. That's right. The South Carolina ports reported a stronger-than-typical February for container volumes at the port of Charleston, even though it handled 13% fewer 20-foot equivalent units, or TEUs, for February compared to last year. So far this fiscal year, 
SC Ports has handled nearly 1.8 million TEUs, but in that same time, movements are down 5% year-over-year. But SC Ports says even with the slight dip, last month was the second-highest February for volumes in port history. Again, that's even though it was down 13% year-over-year. February is traditionally a lighter month, according to the ports, due to a pause in Asian manufacturing for the Lunar New Year holiday. A slowdown in consumer spending amid rising cost of goods has also softened volumes overall, including loaded imports. SC Ports President and CEO Barbara Melvin said, quote, While we are seeing economic uncertainty impact volumes, South Carolina Ports remains well-positioned as a well-run port in the booming Southeast market. South Carolina continues to attract significant new business and investment. We've invested in port capacity and capabilities to officially handle goods for these port-dependent businesses, quote. Now we're going to let someone else talk on this episode. That's right, we got a drop alert, folks. <laughs> episode 5 of Scott Morgan's limited-run series, Indebted, comes out this Wednesday. If you haven't been listening to Indebted, it's a limited-run series that looks at the torrid ecosystem of debt in South Carolina. And Scott gave me this piece, which is a conversation he had with University of South Carolina professor Oscar Inja about the lack of warning labels on financial products. How many things you think come with warning labels? I mean, we know cigarettes do, right? And alcohol, small toys, medicines for sure. You know what doesn't have a warning label, though? Financial products. Right. Financial products. Dr. Oscar Inja, professor of finance at the University of South Carolina. The equivalent of FDA doesn't exist in financial products, right? There is no requirement that says, oh, here's a warning label that, like for tobacco, this causes cancer. And so I can easily see a situation where we could treat these products the same way, and then every payday loan would have to come with a disclaimer there that would have to say, warning, these products can cause you financial loss and hardship. For a little historical perspective, keep in mind that warning labels we take for granted today on cigarette packages and plastic bags used to be considered nutty ideas. Yes, according to this survey, more doctors smoke camels than any other cigarette. Try camels yourself. Okay, well, maybe don't do that. But this was life in 1950 when ads like this one, and yeah, it's real, told you how good cigarettes were for you. Warning labels on cigarettes were crackpot territory until at least 1966, when the Federal Cigarette Labeling and Advertising Act mandated packs of smokes tell us this stuff might be hazardous to our health. But like Dr. Incha said, there is no legislation at the state or federal level warning South Carolinians that certain products might be harmful to our financial well-being. And Dr. Ringer would really like there to be. I think that would work. I think that would probably have a fairly big impact on... Uh, people's propensity to, to use these products. And in case this isn't clear, Dr. Ringer sees the financial problems caused by triple-digit interest rate loans readily available at installment lending stores or through apps as a legitimate public health hazard. These things are more dangerous than people really think they are. And people are just being victimized by this. This is an, I, I see it as an epidemic. It's just not being treated the same way. Putting labels on certain financial products isn't an entirely new idea. Federal regulators contemplated sticking warning labels on prepaid debit cards back in 2013, and obviously didn't. But Dr. Ringer's idea is at least not without precedent. And to be really clear, he doesn't want to squelch financial products, especially if they can help new borrowers build their credit. He just wants them to come with an acknowledgement of the risks. Clearly, we don't want to cut off young people from the financial industry and financial products. It's very important to use them responsibly. But one could make the distinction between Uh, safe products and potentially more dangerous products. And there could be different treatment there. 
What Dr. Ringo says makes a lot of small-dollar products like title and payday loans dangerous is the math that doesn't always work out like you'd expect. A 25% fee on a $1,000 title loan, for example, doesn't sound too bad, and it probably wouldn't be if you only borrowed once. But the Consumer Finance Protection Bureau says more than half of title loan borrowers are repeat customers, meaning those fees compound as a kind of de facto interest, often adding up to several hundred percent on the same $1,000 you can't pay off. Mostly, Dr. Rinja is concerned because everyday people going about their lives and getting these small-dollar loans are not finance majors like his students at USC. And even they have trouble understanding what these kinds of products entail. Without actually crunching the numbers, this stuff is really hard. Compound interest, exponential growth, these are very hard things to wrap your head around. It looks reasonable. It looks, oh, it's not too bad. But when you look at the dollar numbers, you just, you can't comprehend it. And these are business majors. So maybe a warning label right next to the sign here sticker on your title loan application wouldn't be a bad idea. Always great reporting there from Scott, which you can find as well as episodes and more on SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org, or you can subscribe to Indebted wherever you find lead episodes. Welcome to the wind down section. You ready for me? You ready? You hit the play button? Hit the record? Is the light red? <laughs> Yes, I was rolling the whole time. This isn't a spoof. I'm being serious. But yeah. let's, should we play with it? Should we roll with it? Go with it? Uh, we're going to keep the scenes. We're keeping okay, this. We're keeping this. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so we're pressed for time. Welcome to the wind down section. That ignore what you just heard. <laughs> that, that was, was just, just us goofing. That was a little back of house stuff. I, I don't, I don't get mad at AT. <laughs> It was just me clarifying. But, you know, we're glad you're here at the back of the house. <laughs> it's how the sausage gets made. And, yes, this show is technically a sausage. A.T. <laughs> Shire, our producer, keeping me sane here, folks, in the wind-down section. That's what we're here for, sanity. That's- and that's why we want to hear from you, 803-563-7169. Oh, yeah. That's our sanity helpline. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are not licensed health professionals. No, professionals but like we AT. are licensed sausage purveyors. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> unless we're at sea, 15 miles out, in which case I... Anything goes. Licensed in so Anything many things. Anything goes. Yeah, we don't even... Financial ac- advisor, we- acupuncturist, chiropractor. Oh, yeah. Dentist. Yeah. 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 I'm it, telling you. I mean, I all jack of all he, trades. He got an. He has an apothecary out there. Uh, it's great. We don't even edit the pod at sea. I mean, we <laughs> no, just. Oh, it's a, We just put it straight. We out. turn the mics on and we just roll with it. <laughs> yeah, we don't that's even like, edit it. That's uh, like every podcast. Yes, that's every other podcast. Oh, you don't have to edit, bro. It's not that hard. Uh, yeah, I'm sure you have great numbers. Okay, Gavin. <laughs> well, we did come here for the serenity of this sausage ending, anyway. Okay. Um, yes. There we go. He's getting his ohms in. Please. While he's doing that, we mm. have a double dip here okay we got some calls so uh really good job listeners love love it it. love you don't that doesn't mean stop we want you to stop we want you to get in this hopper okay we need you in the hopper anyway gavin are you ready for this first call this first call i'm in the hopper i'm in my happy place good 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 here we go hi gavin and uh, at i this is fern sims i'm from rock hill and i got a question for you i signed up to come to the South Carolina ETV 50th anniversary celebration on May 6th and bringing my wife 
And my question is, uh, for the taping of the lead that we're going to participate in, what is the appropriate dress? It didn't say in the invitation. Is it, is it a black tie? Is it a white tie? Is it a golf casual? Just uh, would like to know. So uh, please let me know. We'll talk to you later. Sam from Rock Hill, I wish it was going to be a black tie event, but it's not. Uh, there will be an exclusive lead after party, which is black tie. No, I'm just kidding. That's not true. I think it's just going to be business casual from what I understand, too. I know the invitation looks fancy and Gatsby-like, but it's just going to be business casual, normal, I normal mean, I, casual it, Sam, attire. Sam, if you want to wear black tie. I would respect that. Don't. Yeah. I mean, we'd have you up on stage, truly. I think that you and me have to wear those... Um, those black polo shirts that say 50th anniversary. Uh, so I hope you're working on your arms because it's a gun uh, show. These these are these are schmediums of shirts. Yes. Really, it goes deep in the armpit. <laughs> and uh, I, Gavin knows I am loath to wear a collared you shirt. You know I'm loath to wear a black shirt. Yeah, Gavin doesn't like black. I mean, what an odd couple we are. I love black. <laughs> he loves collars. <laughs> I actually have a lot of black shorts. but uh, Scary. I had, yeah. They just... The black. energy. You go black it, on black. I, I go all black all the time. I do a lot of gray. I, I do gray. Big, a lot uh, of gradients. Um, <laughs> but I was. I had a black shirt on, and I, I slept with it. and I felt my energy. It was depleted. Seat. It was pulling it out of it you. It was that one that I got from a thrift store in Des Moines, Des Chicago. Moines. Des Moines. There you go. And uh, it. Had, <laughs> I was like, oh, this is the coolest shirt. ATC was so proud of me. I love it. Is the Chicago Auto Show, and yeah. it had like the font, and like it just looks very nineties. It's good. Like, oh. Very happy. You're good. So, and like he, the one black shirt that I wear, but I just feel so. I don't like it. I I'm on a mission like for it. Christmas, his birthday, whatever. I just buy Gavin black clothes. Yes, and he he hates it. Uh, and that's Hard for me. that's the reason I buy it. It's that's that's part of it for me. Uh, anyway, <laughs> Sam, wear what sure wear, navy blue. Wear whatever you like. Yeah, truly. Uh, I'm I'm probably gonna wear shorts and a heavy metal band T-shirt. May it will be so, May. Yeah. Uh, uh, May the 6th be with you. Oh. Anyway, Gavin, are you ready for this next call? Double Sam, dip. thank you. Yes, thanks, this Sam. This is a different topic. And I just want to respect that. I'd also like to note, I don't want to be overdressed to things. Like, you want to, I respect that. You sure. Know, you don't want to show up and be like, oh, I'm wearing a black tie and no one's wearing this. No. But, yeah. I mean, don't be Total. embarrassed to ask. We yes. don't We don't mind. We love that we got a Can call. Can never be overdressed. Okay? Though. Okay, second call. Longer, different topic. Mm-hmm. And at number two. <laughs> and at number two on the countdown. <laughs> Hey, this is Amanda calling in from uh, Greenville, South Carolina, and I just wanted to put in a plug for a movie that had no right to be good, yet was unexpectedly a wonderful film, and that is Puss in Boots 2, The Last Wish. So we're talking about a sequel to a spinoff of a children's movie franchise. One that has been around for a really long time. How many Shrek movies have we had at this point? Has it been four? I've lost count. I only watched the first two. I did not watch the first Puss in Boots movie. I was not interested, nor was I interested in this sequel. But I started seeing good things about it online. And I basically only watch kid films now because I got kids. And uh, it's just easier to watch movies that we can all watch together. And so we ended up renting this one, watching it as a family, and I was so surprised. It is a fantastic film. The animation is really different. It still kind of looks like all the other Shrek films, sort of, still 3D animated. But they did some interesting stuff that made it look kind of comic booky. It has three fantastic villains in it, 
yet somehow does not feel like a bloated film at all. It was surprisingly touching, action-packed. I was never bored. It was funny. Goldilocks is in this film as a part of a crime family with the three bears, and they're just hilarious. Uh, Big Jack Horner is a uh, villain in this, and he is also hilarious. And, of course, uh, the wolf that is chasing Puss in Boots throughout the film is just absolutely chilling. It is so good. So here I am just recommending that everybody, even people without kids, go watch this sequel of a spinoff of Shrek because <laughs> it's a good film. And uh, you should watch it. Well, thank you, Amanda from Greenville, for that recommendation. I, I love hearing from our parents. <laughs> you know, I know you guys have to uh, change your cinematic taste as you yes. have children. You can't just watch um, Lord of the Rings, I guess. But ch- that's, 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 that's fine. You can have them. That's not say. <laughs> Let's not say anything we uh, we regret, okay? <laughs> uh, but that sounds funny. Puss in Boots, yeah, a sequel to a spinoff. I love that. I mean, we could have a prequel in there somewhere, too. I mean, uh, that's we just where go- we are in cinema now. We got to go backwards. Yes, I love this. Got to get up to get down. Amanda, I love this call. I love the discussion <laughs> of the Shrek extended universe. Mm-hmm. I mean, there we all know that there is no kink shaming for movies on this because this is a Fast and Furious forward podcast. Oh, my okay? God. And so I love this. I will watch it. Also, uh, if you are a, a listener of this pod and you you recognize some callers, my friend Cam calls in often. He has yes. told me to watch on Disney Plus. There is okay. a Chippendale Rescue Rangers movie oh. that is also apparently pretty funny. Okay. So uh, that's another one. If you have kids, kids friendly, but you can you can watch a lot of the comics I like that are on uh, Comedy Bang Bang. They're on it a bunch. So she was mentioning. The villains in there too, and I, yes. you know, me, I'm supportive of Disney villains. Yes, yeah, you Gavin know, like, is a big time Ursula Jafar, head. Jafar, oh, Ursula, Jafar, I mean, Jafar too. Yeah, just your voice. I mean, you know. <laughs> <laughs> now, did Ursula stack stack the deck against Ariel a little bit? You know what? Flotsam and Jetsam might have. I'm gonna go there. I'm gonna go there. Ursula was innocent. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Let her uh, out. Yeah, I Let mean, her out. yeah, I. I Hundred percent. You're not going to hear me fight. Hey, Jafar yeah. has a point. Okay? She signed a contract. Okay? okay, it's that's binding. Prince Abubu. Last time I checked, <laughs> contracts matter. Anyway, Amanda, thank you for the call. Sam, thank you for the call. Everyone else, keep calling with those movies. Lord of the Rings is fine for children. <laughs> and Gavin and I need to go to a meeting right now. So Gavin, we have to go to a meeting right now. Gavin, do, do the outros real quick. <laughs> Disney villains. Yes, thank you again, like AT said to Amanda and Sam for calling. We love hearing from you guys. 803-563-7169. That's how we know uh, you're listening and what you want to talk about. We have nothing else to talk about in the wind down except your calls. We love that. You can also leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We love those as well. And you can stay up to date with the latest news on SCTV.org and SouthCarolinaPublicRadio.org. And don't forget to support your local newspapers. For the South Carolina lead, I'm Gavin Jackson. Be well, South Carolina. AT is all for it. He's disgusting. He's vile. 